Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Last Sunday, we preached part one on Tabernacles 5781 or 2020 for you and I. This world is not my home. I told you then that Tabernacles for this year began on Friday, October the 2nd at sundown, and it extended to this last Friday, October the 9th at sundown. God moves on the Hebraic calendar from sundown to sundown, where we on the Gregorian calendar move from sunup to sunup. We, we look at it that way. I want to go back and just quickly touch on part one to bring you up to speed and get your mind back in this flow of thought as we conclude this, this message. In part one, we spoke of, of course, Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. As you know, there are seven feasts. There's four in the spring, three in the fall. We just concluded the fall feast, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, and then Sukkot, or Tabernacles. As you know, the Feast of Tabernacles ends the feast season. It's the final one. It uh, represents the 40 years of Israel wandering and living in the wilderness in temporary, say temporary, temporary shelters. The Jews call this the time of our joy. Tabernacles is a time to rejoice. Uh, There are four reasons to rejoice. One is deliverance from their past, speaking of Egypt, provision for their future as they went through the wilderness. God protected them and provided for them. Habitation, God pitched a tent and he camped out with them. Fire by, by night and a cloud by day. There was a habitation. God's presence was with them. And then it was a time of refreshing. They look at tabernacles as a time to thank God for what he's done, but also to declare and to thank God for the coming rain, for the future harvest. So it's a great time of rejoicing. Uh, The Jews will say that if you never experience tabernacles in Jerusalem, then you don't know what real joy is. But tabernacle is a time to remember our past with gratitude so we can enter our future with confidence. What God did yesterday, he'll do tomorrow. He is the alpha and the omega. Amen? Our text was taken from Leviticus chapter 23. This portion of scripture from 33 to 43 deals with uh, tabernacles, but I'm just going to pull out a few very quickly. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, the the 15th day of the seventh month. Okay shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. You know, Israel has two calendars, the religious in the spring, the civic in the, uh, in the fall. So Teshri, where Tabernacles falls, this is the first month of their civic calendar. This is the new year for Israel, Rosh Hashanah. It's a new year. But off of the religious calendar that starts back in April, in the spring, it's the seventh month, okay? So they got two calendars. This is the seventh month, Religious calendar, first month of the civil calendar, the new year. Drop down to verse 42. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. Booths are temporary shelters. 
All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations, we're talking about now legacy, children, grandchildren, teaching, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So we're going to pick up here, but I just, I want you to notice in verse 42, again, he said, live in temporary shelters for seven days. So it's not uncommon in Israel, they'll build a shelter like this in their backyard. Uh, it, it represents the shelters and the booths and the tents of the wilderness experience. They'll gather together as family and friends. They'll celebrate tabernacles. And it's a time for them to remember, remember what God did for them so they can move forward with confidence. Last Sunday, I mentioned to you a song that uh, I sang growing up as a boy, as many of you did. And uh, it was called, This World Is Not My Home. Let me just read to you a few of the lyrics. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This world. This world is not my home. Let me just go with you uh, for the next few minutes, and let's, let's talk about some of the lessons of, of the sukkah or the uh, temporary shelter, the temporary living, okay, of Israel. Uh, this is a lesson for you and I to, to learn. As we today, as Christians, we recognize the fact that we believe for the kingdom of God here and now. We want to see the kingdom of God manifested here and now. I want to see people get saved, healed, and delivered. We want to see transformation in our, in our nation. I want to see Jesus Christ lifted up. I want to see the kingdom of God manifested. And everybody said amen. amen. But we also believe in the kingdom of heaven. We believe that there is a life after this one. We have the hope of salvation, the hope of the resurrection. We believe in the kingdom of God now. We believe in the kingdom, of, the kingdom of heaven someday. Amen? We believe in that. We believe in eternity. And that after this life, the story's not over. There's more to come. And everybody said amen. amen. So let's talk about where we are as a people, just closing out tabernacles and what we can learn from that. The sukkah, the booth, or the temporary shelter, and what it teaches us. The first is this taken out of Hebrews 11, it's the walk of faith. Let me talk to you about the walk of faith for just a minute. Because in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse eight, he said, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now guys, leave that on the screen for just a few minutes as I talk so they can refer to it. But he said, by faith, Abraham obeyed. So listen to me, as you are on this journey right now, 
we're drawing lessons from Abraham and from Israel going through 40 years in the wilderness. We've been delivered from Egypt and we're headed to the promised land. Lessons that we can learn. As with Abraham and as with Israel, this requires a walk of faith. So looking at Abraham and what we learn from him, you need to know that the act of obedience fueled by faith will find the place of your inheritance. Now, when I talk about inheritance, I'm not talking about just the kingdom of heaven. I'm talking about the kingdom of God here and now. How many believe that you have an inheritance right now? I believe that there are souls that need to be saved, lives that need to be changed, people that need to be healed. I believe there are families that need to be reconciled. I believe there are miracles that need to take place. There's an inheritance. I'm not only looking for the kingdom of heaven one day, I'm looking for the kingdom of God here and now. I want to see God manifested right now. I want to see things change right now. I want to make a difference with my life right now. I want to change my city, my state, my nation, my world. I want my life to count for something. And so I need to see as Abraham that the act of obedience fueled by faith will help me find my inheritance. We have to learn to obey and go in faith. And if we do that, we can find our inheritance here and now. It said that Abraham, by faith, obeyed. And he went He went to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, even though he didn't know where he was going. Every day we get up, we should be spirit-led people, not knowing exactly the divine appointments that we have, not knowing exactly what doors may open to us and what doors may close to us. But every day we need to be sensitive to Holy Spirit and let him lead us so that we can discover our inheritance for that day, for that moment. The life that God wants us to change. The moment that God wants us to shift. We have to believe that every day we have divine appointments and God wants us to make a difference. Abraham was a man of faith and a man of obedience. You need to know that a man or a woman armed with nothing but a promise can create a new world. Abraham, he, it said he went by faith. He went through obedience. He, w- he went to receive his inheritance, even though he didn't know where it was. He did not know where that promise was, that inheritance was. But he went anyway. He went through obedience and by faith. And a man or a woman that's armed with a promise can change the world. You need to know that you can step into the marketplace. You can step into your city. You can step into your country. You can step into this world and armed with nothing but a promise. You say, but pastor, I don't have the resources. I don't have the things I need. You've got a promise. And that's all you need to create a new world. You have to understand that Abraham stepped into Canaan land armed with nothing but a promise and he created a new world. God said to Abraham, lift up your head. Every place that you see, every place that you put your foot, he said, I will give to you if you'll just walk it out. He had to walk it out. See, you think, you think that that promise 
was buried out there somewhere in the sand like gold and he went mining for the promise no 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 you have to understand that abraham was the promise he had the promise the promise was in him and he went by obedience by faith and by doing that armed with nothing but a promise he created a new world you can create a new world armed with nothing but a promise. Canaan land became the promised land when Abraham stepped onto it with God's promise. He carried the promise. The promise was inside of him. It was with him. And the promise is with you. You can step into Exxon Mobil with a promise and change that world. You can change a community. You can change a situation because you're a carrier of the promise. You're impregnated with the promise. God promised something to you. You're the carrier of the promise. With that and nothing else, you can create a new world. Repeat after me. Armed with nothing but a promise, I will change my world. This is called the walk of faith. Number two, we have to remember that we're pilgrims on earth. Verse 9 said, by faith, he, Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Men of faith settled the, the land of promise by maintaining a loose attachment to this world and its culture. Now listen to me. I'm not advocating the old Pentecostal teaching of isolation. We isolate ourselves from the world. That's not the, that's not the answer. But I am calling for men and women that understand that we have to insulate ourselves from this culture. That we can't fall victim to this culture. We're a counterculture. We're not just a subculture. We're a counterculture. And we have to remember that. We're in this world as grandma used to teach us, but we're not of this world. And we have to remember that. So men of faith, Abraham settled the land of promise by maintaining a loose attachment to this world and this culture. You see, once Israel moved into the promised land, what the, when the enemy could not defeat them through battle, he corrupted them by having their daughters marry Israel's sons. And they brought false religion into the nation. So you have to understand that when he can't defeat us through battle, He'll defeat us through contamination. That's why I know it sounds old fogey, but I'm telling you, you have to be careful what you let your children watch, what you let your children listen to, what you let your children read, what you let your children surf on the internet. You need to understand if he can't knock them out by, through battle, he'll infiltrate your home and he'll contaminate your children and their thinking. That's why Paul said to renew your mind by the washing of the word. You need to be careful. You've got to watch that. Now, put, this, put it back on the screen, verse 9. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land. The word dwelt there means to dwell near, reside as a foreigner, to be a stranger. To be a stranger. He dwelt in the land as a stranger. But the word dwelling in a tent, that word means an inhabitant. It also speaks of divine power, influence, and government. So here's the thing. By faith, Abraham dwelt in Canaan as a stranger while dwelling in his tent as an ambassador of heaven. So Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan as a stranger. He did not partake of their culture. 
He did not allow uh, their culture to infiltrate his, his way of thinking. He dwelt in the land as a stranger, but when he went into his tent, he went in there and dwelt with God as an ambassador of heaven. There's a difference. There is a difference. I can be in this world, but not of this world. That's why I don't believe we should isolate ourselves. Listen, I'm not afraid to go out there and change them without them changing me. You've got to settle this thing in yourself here and now. And we've got to teach our children. We've got to raise up our children. We've got to, and we've got to indoctrinate them in the word of God. We've got to instill the word in them and train them and teach them that they can go out there and change them without themselves being changed. We can do this, guys. Do we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? But let me tell you what that's going to take. It's going to take our young people being truly born again, filled with the Spirit, taught the Word of God, taught the walk of faith, and taught that they're pilgrims on this earth, that they're here to make a difference and to change the world without the world changing them. We've got to teach our kids. We've got to instill that in them. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. I'm first a Christian. Then I'm an American. But understand my allegiance is first to the kingdom of God here and now and the kingdom of heaven one day. That's where my allegiance is first and foremost. That's why we have to take a stand. We have to take a position on truth and righteousness in this culture and not allow the culture to change us. But we change the culture of this world with the message of Jesus Christ. If we don't like the way our school system is here in Beaumont, then let's raise up our young people. Let's instill them in the word and righteousness. Let's send them to college, get them an education, get them a degree, bring them home and put them in the school system and change it. As a pilgrim, I live in one world while representing another. We're talking about learning from Abraham and how to be a pilgrim in this land. Number three, you need to understand the war of the soul. Verse 10, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He waited. He didn't give his soul to that culture. He waited for something better. In psychology, there is what they call the pleasure principle. This is the instinctual seeking of pleasure and the avoidance of pain in order to satisfy biological and psychological needs. Okay? The pleasure principle. There are two paths that we as humans are confronted with every day. The first one is immediate gratification. Immediate gratification is indulged in in order to avoid pain now. I want it now and I don't want to wait. It's to avoid pain. But delayed gratification is done in order to fulfill a higher purpose later. So I can, I can buy that new item now that I can't afford and put it on a credit card. That's immediate gratification. Okay? Especially right now with all that's happening in our world. Right now with all that's transpiring, People are, are indulging. We know this. 
psychologists are looking across the nation and they're worried because people are medicating themselves through, through food, spending money, uh, chemicals, relationships, and pornography. So what we do is in order to medicate ourselves, we engage in immediate gratification to avoid pain, okay? But a wise man or a wise woman will delay gratification for future reward. So instead of buying that item that I can't afford and put it on a credit card, I'll say no, and I'll wait until I can pay cash so I keep myself out of debt. Okay, you tracking? So we have to learn that we're, we're going to delay gratification. It is proven that successful men and women in life are people that are disciplined and that can put off immediate gratification for a future reward and a higher purpose. They'll wait. Abraham was in Canaan land. It was a culture that wasn't his own. He went into a place not knowing where he was going, looking for an inheritance. He went by faith, obeying God, knowing that his faith and his obedience would lead him to his inheritance. He was armed with a promise and he was creating a new world with nothing but a promise. But he also understood that he was a pilgrim in a strange land and he had to be careful. He didn't isolate himself, but he insulated himself. He did not allow them to infiltrate his tent and change him. But he also understood the war of the soul, that you have to wait, that you've got to delay gratification. First Peter chapter two, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God, and the day of visitation. Now, I've told you before that I've been privileged to have grown up under two men of God. The first one, Burt Clendon, and taught me uh, how to be a man of God, and he talked to me about holiness, okay? And then John Kilpatrick, he taught me about integrity and how to be a leader and a revivalist. He taught me about integrity, and there's a difference. And today, we don't hear a lot of talk in our pulpits about holiness, righteousness, and integrity. We don't hear about that anymore. But we have to understand that there's a war taking place for the soul. And as Peter said, we have to abstain from the lust that is warring against our soul. That immediate gratification, not willing to wait, to put gratification off for a higher purpose. You've heard me speak many times at Isaiah. He said, a noble man will make noble plans and by noble deeds he will stand. We have to teach our young people that they have noble blood flowing through their veins. They are of nobility. They are of a royal priesthood. And we have to teach them that you're better than this culture. You're better than that immediate gratification. You're better than that. You're better than all that you see taking place in this world today. We have to teach our young people that there's a calling on their life, that their life is not their own, that they've been bought with a price. And when they do that, when they realize that, then like Joseph, he'll look at Potiphar's wife and say, how can I so sin against my Lord? I can't sin against my master. 
I can't sin against my God. I can't sin against my calling because you, baby, ain't worth it. And he ran from her. He ran from himself. He ran from that lust and he got away from that situation. Listen, we don't always abstain from things because we're just wonderful people. We abstain from things because there's a calling on our life. There's something, a higher purpose on my life. And I refuse, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse to compromise my calling, the anointing, Holy Spirit, the purpose on my life. Listen, there's a purpose on my life that's greater than anything or any person on this earth. And we've got to instill that in our kids. The Bible said that Abraham waited. He waited for something better. You see, it's impossible to live on purpose while living to avoid pain at the same time. It's impossible to live on purpose while avoiding, while living to avoid all pain. If you want to live on purpose, you're going to have to learn how to deal with pain. You're going to have to learn how to delay gratification. She'll have to wait. He'll have to wait. That will have to wait. This will have to wait. You just have to do that. If you indulge in immediate gratification, if you don't learn discipline, you're never going to fulfill your purpose in life. Life is about discipline. It's about waiting. It's about waiting. All things, all good things will come to you, but at the appointed time, all good things. We have to teach our kids that sex will come at the appointed time within the confines of, uh, of marriage. But any sexual activity outside of the, the limitations of marriage between a man and a woman will ultimately destroy your life. It's not, it's not that God is against pleasure, but he understands that pleasure without restraint will ultimately destroy you. It will, it will destroy you. Listen, Bluebell ice cream is a good thing. I, it, I think the man that invented that, somehow there, there had to be some revelatory knowledge come from heaven. But how many knows that a little bit is good, but too much is going to cause you problems, amen? So we have to learn a life of discipline, a life of restraint, and that's the key to success. It's the war of the soul. A life lived avoiding pain results in goals never reached and the best of you never realized. A life lived avoiding pain. Oh, I just, Pastor, you don't understand. I just can't say no. I just can't. Listen, a life lived avoiding pain, immediate gratification results and you never reaching your goals. And the best in you is never realized. The best in you. The best in you. You know, they did a test. Psychologists did a test where they took a, a, a child, probably four or five years old, and they sat them at a table and they put, I don't know why they chose this, but they put one marshmallow down in front of them. And they said, you can have it now or you can wait 15 minutes and you'll get two marshmallows. They discovered that the children that are taught discipline that are taught delayed gratification for a higher purpose and a greater reward. Young people, children that are taught this, go on to live a successful life. 
They're more disciplined. They're more intelligent because they teach themselves. They learn. They're self-motivated. Oh, my God. Listen, look, you may say, well, what kind of preaching is this? This is gospel preaching. This is Bible preaching. That's why Jesus said it another way. Every day, take up your cross, deny yourself, and come follow me, and I'll lead you into a life of success where you can make a difference. But if you're going to change your world, you're going to have to learn to delay gratification, and you're going to have to learn how to live with immediate pain for a higher purpose in this world. The best of you is never realized with the immediate gratification. The best of you is never realized. Aristotle said this, the reason so many people are unhappy is they confuse pleasure for true happiness. 300 BC. There's a difference between pleasure and true happiness. There's a difference. Are you avoiding pain? are living on purpose. We're talking about the life of Abraham, a pilgrim in a strange land who waited, who waited. Number four, nah, no four, that was last week. Aren't you glad everybody said hallelujah? Think of this, he waited, he waited. Can we wait? Stephen, come help me. Can we wait? Can we put things off? Can we put off immediate gratification for a higher purpose? Discipline. Discipline. Restraint. Integrity. Standing my ground for what's right. Doing what's right. Yeah. home in this world this world is not my home I'm a pilgrim only passing through back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13 this has always inspired me beyond just it's hard to explain it verse 13 he said these all died in faith not having received the promises, immediate gratification, we're results oriented. I want it right now. And if I don't get it right now, I'm walking out on God. But they died in their faith, having never received the promise. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Leave it up there, guys, for just a minute. These all died in the faith, not having received the promise, but they see it from afar. That's why I've said to you, I'm believing for the next move of God. Whether it's in my life, my children, or my grandchildren, I'm believing for it. I I may see it from afar, but I'm believing for it because I'm building for the future. But here's the thing, guys. Keeping your faith in heaven is more important than receiving your promise on earth. If I don't get this new raise, if I don't get that promotion, if God don't come through with me, how many times have I heard that? Call people up, where are you at? I've missed you at church. 
well, I've been going through a hard time. They didn't get something they wanted. And so we get an attitude with God. Let me ask you something. If I never see another miracle, will I keep my faith in heaven? Although I don't get my promise on earth? Can God count on me to be true to him regardless of the circumstances? If I lose everything, if everybody walks out on me, if everybody turns to me and says, why don't you curse God and die? Will I, like Job, keep my integrity? And say, the Lord giveth, and he has every right to take it away. Oh, my God. Give us such Christians today. Give us such Christians today. Verse 14, same story, Abraham. It went on to say, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. You see, and this is the point that I really wanted to drive home to you and Holy Spirit gave to me a few weeks ago. These people here in Hebrews 11, they were seeking for a homeland. They were pilgrims. They understood that this world is not my home. They were looking for a homeland. Okay? It's hard to be disappointed, hurt, and frustrated in a world that is not your home. So when you see all the stuff on the news and it's going crazy, it's hard to be frustrated. It's hard to be disappointed. It's hard to be hurt when you realize, you know, that's unfortunate. And it, I, I need to pray about that. But it doesn't destroy me because this is not my home. I have the hope, not only of the kingdom of God here and now, but the kingdom of heaven later. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. So you see, there is something that happens to a man or a woman that realizes that there is something greater than what you see today. It, it, it insulates you, not isolate, it insulates you where you're, you're not disappointed in this world because you realize that there's something greater that's coming. Verse 15, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. If they had called to mind, listen, it's like the scripture that says, once you put your hand to the plow, if you look back over your shoulder, you're unfit. You're unfit. You're not healthy enough, strong enough, stable enough to plow for the kingdom of God. Okay? You got to be careful. If you call it to mind the things of this world, then you're going to have an opportunity to go back. Can we be so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good? Is it possible that we get so entangled in this culture and the things of this world? And I'm not talking now about making a difference. I'm not talking now about transformation and changing our world. I'm talking about getting entangled in it, wrapped up in this culture, wrapped up in this culture with its ideology with its lifestyles, the things of this world that infiltrates the church. Can we get so caught up, so worried about immediate gratification that we don't learn to delay things for a higher purpose? Is it possible? Is it possible that I call things to mind that creates an opportunity in me 
to give up and go back. Just asking a question. Verse 16. But now they desire better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. The word heavenly there means things that take place in heaven. A heavenly country. Things that take place in heaven. Things that take place in heaven. We need to be a people. We need to be a people that understands that we're here to change this world. And what's not accepted in heaven should not be accepted in our world. That's why if there's no cancer in heaven, then here in my world, I'm offended by cancer. I'm offended by that. That's why we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done here and now as it is in heaven. So you see, we have to realize that entanglement in this world's culture diminishes our heavenly influence. Entanglement in this world's culture where they're changing me instead of me changing them, it diminishes my influence. When I get wrapped up in this culture, entangled in this culture, it changes my ideology. It changes my dogma. It changes my doctrine. It changes my lifestyle. It changes my values. It changes my purpose. When it does that, I lose my heavenly influence. I'm not able to change the world. Our prayer has to be, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've come here this morning to tell you that if you'll just remind yourself that you're a pilgrim in a strange land, don't isolate yourself. Go out there and engage. But insulate yourself where you change the world and the world doesn't change you. If you just remind yourself that you're a pilgrim and your eyes is looking for a heavenly country, the kingdom of God here and now and the kingdom of heaven later. If you just keep your eyes on the horizon that I'm a citizen of another world, it will help you to cope with all that's gone crazy in this world. Because as grandma used to sing, this world is not my home. I'm only a passing through. So repeat this after me. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. I'm only a passing through. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. In this moment, I want you to search your heart. Every man, every woman, every young person on campus and online, I want you to search your heart. Search it. Search your heart. I want you to let Holy Spirit speak to you. I want you to listen to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked together. Yoked up. Relationship, lifestyle, ideology, habit, behavior. Instead of changing the culture, you've allowed the culture to change you.
the values that you once held dear, passed down to you by your, your parents, your grandparents, your youth pastor, your pastor, your Sunday school teacher. You've let go of those values. You've compromised. Your beliefs, what you once believed, you no longer believe anymore. You've accepted the lifestyle of this world, the habits, the behavior, the ideology, the thinking, the mindsets of this world. You've allowed this culture to change you. If that's you this morning, you have yoked yourself with unbelievers. That yoke around your neck is going to destroy you. But there's hope because in Isaiah chapter 10, he said, It shall come to pass on that day that this burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. I believe Holy Spirit sent me here today to break that yoke and to detach you from this world. Not where you're isolated, but you're insulated. Where you change them without them changing you. I believe Holy Spirit sent me here today to speak to you. And to challenge you. To remember that you're a pilgrim. And this world is not your home. You're only passing through. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you in this moment to deal with every heart, every life. Speak to every person. May we examine ourselves as the scriptures say and see if we be where we be in the faith. Where's my faith at? Have I lost it? Have I given it up? Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.